1: welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space podcast. This is Talking Space episode 539 for the week of Monday, December 9th, 2013. We are nearing the end of the year and the end of season number five. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome,
2: Gene. Hey, Sawyer. Glad to be here, my friend. Glad you're here with us
1: tonight, and welcome as well, Mark Ratnerman. Hello,
0: and let's go.
1: We'll get going in a second, but first we have to welcome back, once again, Emily Carney. Welcome back.
3: Hey, how y'all
1: doing? We are glad to have you with us for another episode of Talking Space. We love having a female voice on, and yours especially.
3: Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm really glad to be here.
1: All right, so let's get rid of the sappy stuff, and let's get right into the hard news and start (laughs) with some planetary science. And for that, we will go to Gene.
2: Thanks, Sawyer. Well... When you think of NASA these days, as um, uh, a uh, good uh, acquaintance of mine, Eric Berger, wrote on the uh, Houston Chronicle back uh, around December 6th, you think of NASA, you think about, uh, oh, you know, a lot of the good planetary science stuff that we've been doing. You think about Curiosity, you think about Opportunity, you think about Cassini, you think about all the other pro- mm, probes that are currently running around, and, and Juno, everything. Well, If you're a planetary scientist, NASA might soon stand for, as Eric Berger observed, it may soon stand for, well, nada. There was a a town hall meeting last week uh, that NASA presented uh, in the area of planetary science. And, well, it does not look good for 2014. Uh, It looks like Uh, that right now we are not going to be doing any quote flagship planetary missions quote close quote for 2014 at all Uh, meaning that a lot of planetary scientists won't have a lot to do um, working on any type of new missions Uh, it looks to the budget right now just will not support it it looks like, too, that NASA will not announce any new initiatives for 2014 either. Um, Charlie Bolden essentially told planetary scientists, saying that, quote, we have to stop thinking about planetary mission, planetary flagship missions, like a Cassini. Even like a, uh, a Juno, he just flat out said, quote, according to Eric here, the budget just does not support that. But wait, there's more! Uh, NASA's Planetary science, Sciences Director Jim Green issued a statement on NASA's planetary science future. Basically, he, he said that things are okay as I stated, stated before for things that are currently aloft. You know, New Horizons is going to be funded. Dawn is going to be funded. Cassini is going to be funded. Uh, those, those missions are still in good shape. Uh, Curiosity, again, will still be okay. But what about future programs like Europa, like Titan, or other really, really cool places in the solar system that are just beckoning at us? Uh, the the Isa the Huygens probe gave us some tantalizing images of Titan's surface, what was deployed just a few years ago. Where is that? going to lead us. Well, right now it's going to lead us, well, nowhere. Because right now the NASA budget just will not support any new initiatives. Eric basically says here, quote, I guess we'll have to leave those discoveries on Europa to China or India. And he says, uh, if you're concerned about this sort of thing, uh, he makes a reference out to the Planetary Society uh, for getting Congress involved in and getting planetary science back up on its feet again. And I believe, uh, Sawyer, you mentioned during uh, our pre show that there's a, a very good video over there by Bill Nye, who is currently the chairman of the Planetary Society, uh, about this very topic. The scary thing is that uh, there's going to be a lot of postdocs out there with really nothing to do uh Is this going to affect uh, the the way the way science is is you know any future initiatives that are being done um, I mean uh, case in point here uh, this is co- also coming from from the uh, periodical nature and i 'm going to quote from them directly at the town hall meeting. NASA's Jonathan Rayle said that funding proposals in this area are not likely to be due until February 2015. And he said that was a last straw for many researchers who live, you know, from grant to grant, because most of their existing funding is likely to expire well before money becomes available for any new new solar system working area. And again, this is this is quoting the uh, this is quoting the periodical nation nature. So, you know, people are, are gonna be wondering where the devil their next paycheck is gonna come from. That's that's what we're talking about here. So we're we're trying to go ahead and develop new planetary scientists to go ahead and, and answer even you know even tougher, unanswerable questions that we've we've had from from we've we've gotten from the solar system explorations we've done in the past. But how are we going to go ahead and encourage the next generation of solar system explorers with situations like well this where we're not too sure where you know if we're going to be funded or if things are going to be pulled out you know from uh, from underneath you so this is a really sticky wicket gang and i'm just i'm really really I, I don't really like to use this platform as an as a uh, uh, an advocate type platform, but i'm going to use it use it this time. Uh, if you're really, really concerned about this folks, really bother your congressman. if if you are in in the United States or if if you are abroad, you know, bother the, the the White House or or something along those lines and, and just say hey you know the the, the u s has done some really good good things in planetary exploration. We're currently in, in in a lead position in a lot of a lot of ways in in this. Uh, how about taking you know the bull by the horns here and doing develop this because it's not just just the U.S. that's going to be suffering in this area. I think it's going to be humanity in general if we don't really really straighten this whole mess out. So again, I'm going to urge everybody you know to and I don't really like using this as an advocacy platform, but again, I'm going to do it here. Um, if folks really want to go ahead and try to save planetary science, write your Congress critter, or if you're, you're really, really, you know, if you're abroad and listening and want to go ahead and and do something write right to the white, right to the white house, because that's the only way we're going to fix this thing. Um, comments from, from the, from the panel, I'm going to, I'm going to just go ahead and (laughs) I'm going to shut things down here before I get too inflamed, but, um, I'm going to open up the comments from the panel.
3: Yeah, uh, like you said, I'm worried, you know, uh, not just about, you know, the gap in, you know, planetary exploration, because there's so much, I mean, I think I said this last week, I I was thinking about, you know, the lunar missions and how much we don't know about the moon yet, and we've been there, you know? I mean, there's just so much, like, uh, even Juno. I I was fortunate to be part of that uh, tweet-up a couple of years ago when they still had NASA tweet-ups. Now they're called socials. And um, I didn't understand, really, until I went to that tweet-up, how much we didn't really know about Jupiter. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it was 2011, and uh, Juno is going to get there, I believe, around 2016. And it's like, I just, I didn't understand how much, we, didn't, we don't really know what the core is made up of. We just, there's so much we just don't know yet. And um, it makes me, I find it, you know, not just disturbing that we're going to have that gap in, you know, knowledge, which, you know, affects science education, and uh, I'm also worried that, you know, obviously about these people's livelihoods and things like that, you know, there's going to be even more people out of work than there there is now. It's a sign of the times, but it, it does disturb me that, you know, to some extent, sometimes I think people don't think that those kinds of things are important.
2: Yeah, Emily, another point, I have a friend of mine that essentially was my boss, he, he uh, and I used to work over at the County College of Morris Planetarium half a lifetime ago, it seems. And uh, he is now working in information technology. Uh, he's doing a very good job of it, mind you, but he is, he's in, in IT. And the reason why he is in IT is because he could not find a position... In, uh, in planetary science and in astronomy. And this is a guy with a doctorate in astrophysics. So, you know, as you were pointing out, it, it's just you've got people's livelihoods at stake here. And you you have peop- really smart people. And these aren't slouches here. These, the, these folks don't work at McDonald's. These folks, and these are not hamburger-flipping jobs. These are... Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that it's just you know these these are highly trained trained folks and you've got to give them a challenge this is what they've trained for which is planetary science and and learning more about how the solar system works and if you're not going to allow them to do that they're going to go off and do other things and we're going to lose a tremendous brain trust as a result and but unfortunately that's the Those are the seeds we apparently are sowing here, and it's not good. It is just not good.
1: Exactly. I mean, it is sad because, as you mentioned and I was talking about earlier, there's a video released by Bill Nye, which um, Phil Plate posted on his Bad Astronomer blog, if you want to look at it. But it's kind of sad when in the video, first he asks for, you know, if possible, to increase the planetary budget, to say 10%, and then it's all even more sad when later on, he's even arguing not just for an increase, but to keep it the same, where he's saying, if you keep the budget the same, here's what we'll still be able to do. You know, I can't believe we're at that point.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's
1: sad, Sawyer. I mean, we,
2: we've, we've uh, I, I still can't believe this. We're the most powerful nation on, on the planet, pretty much, and we still can't robustly fund a project that we are renowned for, and that, that to me is disturbing. Uh, do we actually still want to be in this business? Do we actually still want, want to do this? I think we honestly do, but I, I think people need to wake up and understand that this, does, this stuff does cost money, and it, it, but it's, it, the end result is worth the investment. And we've got so much stuff out there just waiting for us, I mean, we've got, got Titan to look at, we've got Europa to look at, we've got, uh, I mean, it, what was it, a few years, years ago, we had the, uh, uh, an idea to place um, Robonaut 2 with, with a torso and all this on the surface of the moon and try to see if it could collect samples and, and so on. If it could do that on the moon, it might be able to do that elsewhere. Uh, these are these are things, I mean, uh, that we really should be doing. Shoot, I'd love to see something like, like I just mentioned, a robot 2 type thing, out on, on say, oh, I don't know, Titan. I mean, that would be exciting. But I, I don't think, number one, the money's gonna be there for a long time. And number two is, I don't know if we are willing as a country to say this is worth our investment.
1: Here's hoping for planetary science to continue on. And as you mentioned, it's not meant to be a platform for advocating, but I think at this point we're all advocating. Keep funding planetary science, please. Okay. So... Continuing along now, this is a story that we've talked about. In fact, it was earlier this year, back on episode 503, which was in January. So, we're coming around full circle here at the end of the year. As you might recall, Axe, or as it's known in many other places in Europe and across the rest of the world, Lynx, had a competition, uh, which was called Axe Apollo, and it was promoting, obviously, their new scented line of whatever but on top of that also came a competition which you would submit a video blog and get all the votes for you and about a 100 people or so would then be taken to florida and put through grueling tests and training and the winners would go to space well it's official as of december 8 2013 the winners were selected more than 100 participants from over 60 countries around the world took part, and this is from Space.com, in mental aptitude tests, combat trading in fighter jets, and zero-gravity flights to distinguish themselves as the most worthy. So the winners, there were 23 tickets handed out, and each one of those, keeping in mind, is the equivalent of a $95,000 ticket on board the Lynx spacecraft, which is made by x The United States winner, his name was Patrick Carney, no relation I believe to Emily. One thing that we were talking about that's interesting, of it, there were 105 men and 4 women who made it to the finale, and of those who were selected, there were 2 women and 21 men from 21 different countries, including Canada, South Africa, Thailand, and China. It's official the winners were selected and now if Lynx gets off the ground which it's supposed to by 2014 or 2015 we've got 23 people with front row seats.
2: Well, okay, if I remember exactly Sawyer, this the 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 competition was set up by a men's by Axe, which is essentially a a men's product here in in the US. It's it's a you know, it's it's a body wash or or you know, a shampoo or whatever. And it's, it's predominantly a, a, a men's product. So I guess the parody in, in the contestants kind of sh- indicates that. So you, you pointed out too during the, uh, the pre-show that Lynx is still sort of under construction, if, if you will. So I think one of the prizes, if they were not able to do that within a reasonable amount of time, was, was the cash prize now.
1: If I recall, yes, it was slightly more than the ninety-five thousand dollars ticket, which would then include all of the everything else that goes along with it, and hotels and training and everything. And if I recall, they will also cover taxes. Don't it, I can't be one hundred percent quoted on this. If you want the exact details, again, go back to episode five hundred three where I read the fine print.
2: Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, just to fill in some some uh, blanks here, uh, Xcore is the company behind Lynx Sawyer, as you mentioned. Um, if anybody's interested, uh, take a look at xcore.com. Uh, to take really, really briefly, take a look, look at the website here. The links is to get two people to an altitude of about uh, three hundred and thirty thousand feet, and then return safely for a for a landing for a landing at at like say the, uh, the the old shuttle landing facility. It is essentially a suborbital spacecraft. Uh, but N is set up to do suborbital science. So and I believe it only has, again, a crew capacity of about two people, pilot and M1 passenger, or the individual or a pilot and a mission specialist who may be dedicated to performing the, the experiments that uh, uh, will, be, will be done on, on board the spacecraft. Uh, it's made from composites and and so on, so it's it's an exciting deal indeed.
0: I don't
3: know. I'm probably gonna get a lot of you know people accusing me of being militant and stuff like that for uh, saying this, but uh, I couldn't help notice they uh, released a photo, you know, of all the the you know the finalists with uh, Buzz Aldrin, you know, and I know it's a men's product, but uh, I just they had the two women like shoehorned in on the very end, you know, and kind of just like as an afterthought. So I was just kind of. Like I said, I know it's a product for men and things like that. I just, I wish there had been like even like if you know whatever their parent company is. You know, I don't, I don't off the top of my head, I don't know what Axe's parent company is. A lot of you know, you got Procter and Gamble and you got Unilever and companies like that, or you know, whoever does Dove. You know, I wish they'd done maybe a similar initiative, at least something for you know women in science or something like that. I mean. I don't know, it's just, but I thought the commercials for Axe Apollo were cute, because, you know, it showed women losing their minds over astronauts, and I can, I can certainly relate to that, you know, but, um, unfortunately, you know, some astronauts can probably say that I've lost my mind over them, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I was I was kind of hoping to see more of you know participation from you know women because it is 2013. I just just my two cents. But like I said, I'm probably gonna get a lot of crap for just even mentioning this. People be like, oh my god, she's such a militant. It's like in the last astronaut class, you know, it was, or the, the one that was announced, I think this year, it, it was it's half women, you know, and it's pretty diverse. You know, even the first class with women, you know had six women out of 35 which wasn't too bad you know so I don't know just like to see a little more you know diversity I guess you know it's neat that they selected you know people all over the world I, I think that's pretty cool that you know they focused on that
1: yeah I, I definitely get your point and again is it more of a male product yes but I know a lot of people who entered into the contest in the United States and I can say for sure that there were plenty of females who entered because they didn't care about the product. They cared about going yeah. to space.
3: <laughs> I entered. I, I, I got like two votes, but I did not so the <laughs> I didn't get many votes. So I was. I think the highest I made it was to like 629 or something. So maybe I'm a little bitter because I didn't get picked. Dang it, Axe. You could have picked me, but that's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, don't worry. There's still a Carney going in, uh, keeping in mind that uh, Patrick Carney is the U.S. representative.
3: Yes. I don't know if we're related, but good for him, you know. Good to see the carnies uh, advancing in space. I'm very proud of it.
2: <laughs> don't worry, Emily. I got axed, too. too so.
1: <laughs> I tried. <laughs> very clever axed. Just before we end, I do have to add that we are in no way whatsoever sponsored by Axe, Links, any of those corporations. They're not paying us to do this I just found this story interesting and chose to cover it. So, again, we have no relations with them, which is why we can say these things about them. <laughs> so, if you remember, the name of that was Axe Apollo. Apollo is related to the moon, and moon is related to our next story, and that goes to Emily.
3: Yeah, uh, this week the, the story uh, dropped that uh, the Moon Express uh, company um, out of California, they um, unveiled their... Uh, you know, they're designed for a lunar lander. It's called the MX-1, um, you know, and they, they discussed a lot about, you know, its design. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's small, it only weighs, if I don't, I couldn't tell you how much, you know, about regular car weighs, but it weighs about approximately like 1,300 pounds, you know, it's pretty light, um, you know, according to, uh, you know, its, a uh, website, it, it it burns hydrogen peroxide, which you might uh, recognize more commonly from your medicine cabinet. Um, you know, and that, you know, obviously will be a very cheap, you know, propellant. And uh, it's, like I said, you know, it's not a very big lander, but, um, you know, they did share it, and uh, they intend to send this to the moon by late 2015 as part of the um, Google Lunar X Prize. Um If you don't know about, you know, what that involves. Um, it's basically, you know, a privately. Um, it's a private initiative for a private company to, um, you know, put something on the moon, a lander on the moon, um, by the end of the 2015, and they'll win, you know, a 20 million dollar grand prize. I'm not, you know, I'm not endorsing any particular company. I have no involvement with the Google uh, Lunar X Prize whatsoever. Um, you know, it just looks um, interesting that a privately, you know, a, a privately funded initiative is a know, doing this kind of thing um, in the past. You know, right now we have China um, about to, you know, land its own uh, moonlander. I don't think it's landed yet, but I think it's going to, and uh that'll be the first object to be on the moon um, since I think Luna 24 in 1976. So now we have, you know, Moon Express talking about it. You know, there are other companies talking about it as part of the Google Lunar um, X Prize and things like that. But um, it's just really neat, you know, that that a you know a company that's you know using you know going to use private funds is going to do this. Uh, it also makes me sad in a way. I mean, I don't know if I'm going way off topic here. Uh, I was always hoping they would seriously you know go back to the moon on its own. I know the budget obviously is very tight. We've already discussed, you know, they they cut a lot of the planetary stuff, um, you know, and that's not very uh, optimistic, unfortunately, but. I wish they would do more, and um, you know we have uh, Laddie—I almost called it Lady—we have Laddie going, um, you know, doing that their mission. We've had, you know, a few uh, high-profile moon missions in the last few years, like Rail. But I was always hoping, you know, NASA would at least send a lander back, or you know, heck, people, you know, because uh, you know we—I think a couple days ago was the—I want to say the 41st anniversary of Apollo 17. I mean that's. That's a long time ago. <laughs> There's still so much we don't really know about the moon. I hope to God they get to the moon by late 2015. I think that would be amazing. and I would love to watch something like that unfold. I would love to see if they, you know, the U.S. go back and do something like that. That would be really cool.
2: I believe the the, uh, the co-founder there, Emily, a uh, gentleman by the name of Bob Richards, when he gave the uh, presentation in Las Vegas uh, back, I guess it was... Uh, De- uh, december fifth essentially said that this is not just a lunar lander; it can do several other kinds of missions, one of which is is a space tug so uh, uh, another topic near and dear to my heart uh, the uh, the spacecraft could deal with debris mitigation issues uh, I'm, uh, he, he essentially called it the iphone of the of space flight. Uh, using you know this 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 particular bus, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of Laddie a little bit, in the way this implementation is, is done. It too can go ahead and do multiple missions, just like Laddie can, or that particular bus can. I believe NASA has designed, or NASA Ames designed the Laddie bus, to even be a lander at one point. And the same thing with the uh, with the MX One spacecraft. I believe too they're going to have a prototype ready by June or May of next year, which is fast. And they want to go ahead and fly this thing as and and would they would not be the main payload either. Um, they want to fly this thing sometime around 2015. I believe the the, the game plan right now is to hitch a ride on, on one of the, uh, the Falcon 9 uh, flights somewhere in the 2015 time frame and shoot for the moon that way. Uh, again, this is a small little spacecraft. It weighs about 132 pounds. I think the end game, though, is uh, they want to go ahead and use this thing for possibly bringing a sample of, uh, of the moon right back and to study for the possibility of mining the lunar surface. Now, that gets into a lot of other sticky legal questions, considering the UN Space Treaty and so on, who really owns the moon. Right now, nobody really owns the moon. In fact, you know, theoretically speaking, I could say, hey, you know, in order to go ahead and get mining rights, you have to pay me. You know, I could declare I own the moon now. Surprise. I mean, somebody else is doing that right now with all these these you know, selling all kinds of deeds on the lunar surface and things like that, but um, to get back, back to this, uh, I, again, you're, you're talking about, there's, there's a lot of sticky things that have to be talked about from a legal standpoint in order to figure out if you're going to go ahead and mine the moon or not. So th- that's, that, that's one of the end games that I think Moon Express wants to go ahead and do which is which is mining the moon, but uh, uh another thing that i've I've kind of heard around 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 this too is uh you know, again doing the first soft landing on the moon uh and grabbing the lunar the lunar x prize from google um I'm not a a huge fan of prizes at this point, and I think NASA's proved that. Maybe the prize model doesn't work all that well because a lot of these Google Lunar X Prize participants are, have been stuck in a lurch for for a very long time, and this is due due to funding. Uh, Emily, I I agree with you wholeheartedly, but um, to me this is this is a, an indicator uh, that uh, I don't think prizes work. I think NASA proved that with the COTS implementation they did for for commercial cargo, and they are currently doing for commercial crew. And I think that kind of implementation, I, I think, works better than the than the prize implementations. Because if that were the case, we probably the Google Lunar X Prize probably would have been done and over with by now, and somebody would have made the first soft landing since 1976 on the moon by now. But instead, uh, it looks like it's going to be the Chinese that are going to make that first uh, soft landing. Uh, I believe uh, you mentioned the, uh, the Chinese spacecraft, Jade Rabbit, which is uh, due to land, I believe, December 14th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but they will have the first soft landing since the Lunacod vehicles. Uh, however, uh, if this works here, moon Expre- the Moon Express folks can say they were the first privately funded spacecraft to soft land on the Moon since in period so that's something else to um emily to to just speak up to one other thing that you had mentioned uh probably bolden uh i believe maybe last year or, or, or a year ago or two years ago i'm sorry somebody can check me on this uh essentially said do not expect nasa to lead a lunar effort in his lifetime quote close quote i find that Kind of disheartening because quite frankly, I think the international community wants to do a lunar mission and would like to see NASA spearhead that lunar mission the same way NASA spearheaded the uh, the International Space Station we have we can put together I think in my opinion a uh, an international consortium if you will that will that just like the ISS that can Put together a cogent lunar program. The question is, do we want to do it instead of you know, kind of horsing around with this this asteroid uh, recovery mission? Uh, that's yeah. that, that. But that's a, that's a story for another day. <laughs> but uh, the hydrogen peroxide idea is is just amazing because you you could it, it you could pick it up at any drugstore. Somebody's thinking. And and that makes me kind of hopeful for the
1: Exactly. Yes. It's good to have people thinking and shooting for the moon. Yeah, I know that's a bad one. But anyway, best of luck to them. Alright, so to finish off round number one, we're gonna go to Mark with some podcast related stuff, but not
0: what you think. But not what you think is right. Not sure when I started listening to podcasts. I guess it was two thousand seven or eight or so. And have had quite a variety of shows that I've listened to on and off. Some of them uh, pretty consistently. Talking Space, of course, came along in 2009. And uh, you kind of think, well, gee, with that kind of show, you know, me, for instance, Mark would probably listen to a lot of, or, you know, look for information in the spaceflight, and science, and those areas. And that's pretty much true. Well, here's something that I heard on a podcast about podcasting. It was from School of Podcasting, and he asked the question, today, here's a hard question, what is your favorite podcast? If you could choose only one, what would it be? And so this goes into a little random rambling of mine on information. And what I want to ask you listeners to do is if you've got something that you come across that's like, holy cow, this is phenomenal, this is exciting, this is great. First of all, tell somebody. Tell somebody to tell somebody. Spread the word. But let us know too. Let me know. If there's something that you come across, you think, gee, maybe Mark would be interested in that. Absolutely. Mark Ratterman on Twitter, M-A-R-K-R-A-T-T-E-R-M-A-N. Mark at talkingspaceonline.com, etc. But as a for instance, uh, the Morpheus Lander. I just looked at, at one of their pages, and I found that they have a Facebook page, a Twitter account, and a blog. And they also have a, um, a Flickr f- photo page that doesn't seem to be updated that much. So if you look for something and you find information, not really. F- Fresh, look around some more. Maybe they've changed where they're putting out information. Uh, Morpheus, as a little bit of trivia, is starting testing at KSC. They had their first flight last week, and they're hoping to do a uh, free flight tomorrow, which would be Tuesday, December 10th. So enough about Morpheus. Another thing that's fascinated me lately is the astronaut candidate class of 2013. They've got a Twitter account, Astro Class 2013. They've also got a Flickr page, and if you just do a search, Flickr 2013 Astronaut Candidate Class, you'll find pictures of the astronaut candidates, uh, both when they were first selected and also in survival training that they recently went through. On their Twitter account, you'll find photos from just last week where they were doing some um, training in flight, where they were going up flying T-6s and getting some of that flight experience, both the pilots, of course, and the non-pilots that are, as often as the case nowadays, part of the cruise. Now, of course, here's the answer to that question. What would my one podcast be? It wouldn't be Talking Space. (laughs) As much as I like our show and have a lot of fun doing it, there's something that I found more recently that to me is just absolutely... uh, just a lot of incredible information. It's called Omega Tau. It's by a gentleman over in Germany and he produces both English and German uh, podcast episodes. So if you find one that you don't know what they're saying, or if you read the, the website and it's like, what? Just look for the next show or the next one after that, and there's there's both languages there. But the reason I want to mention Omega Tau. He started back in 2008 and they cover interesting topics in science and engineering. Their shows range from 45 minutes to two hours long and they cover a topic in a very comprehensive manner. In a second, I'll link back to what we talked about just two weeks ago. He had a, a show back in 2008, Flight and a Motor Glider, which is like a sailplane with a small motor to get you aloft and get you started. Had another one on music production. had one on the vertical motion simulator at NASA Ames. There's one on satellite buses, which is the hardware, the, the data networking, you know, how, how a satellite works, how it you know uh, handles data and commands within itself. There was one back in September 2010 flying the space shuttle. There's one on uh, how Apollo flew to the moon. There's one on flying the SR-71 Blackbird, how Apollo explored the moon, spaceflight dynamics, flying the U-2 Dragon Lady, which was a spy plane, one on walking in space, flying CAE's Falcon 50 simulator, the Concordia sailplane. One, the first one I listened to was called Violin Physics, and he talked about the physics of a violin and you go huh but they also went into how you can use software to model a violin how you can make changes and see what effect it has now it's not 100% you're not going to take a computer modeling of of something as complex as a violin and and have it have it be perfect Episode 132 and 133, Space Shuttle Systems, Part 1. And then the second part was Space Shuttle Operations. And uh, the one that I really want to tell you about to go listen to, a couple weeks ago, two shows back, I talked about F-A-18 and software that was being developed by engineers at NASA uh, Marshall Space Flight Center. And the software had the F-A-18 do flight testing to where it was in a in a flight regime similar to the new space launch system rocket. Ha, what did I listen to a week later, episode 73 from Omega Tau, flight testing at NASA Dryden. And he talks to a Dryden test pilot, Dick Ewers, about his work and about his involvement in early F18 flight testing. And he talks about how they <laughs> And this is funny, here's a picture of an F-18, the NASA research aircraft, and both pilot in the back seat have their hands up in the canopy, so they're not flying the plane. And the plane has just coupled with an in-air refueling basket off of, a, off of a tanker aircraft ahead of them. And so they developed software, and this was the man who went up and tested it to prove or disprove whether it was possible to have an aircraft do a completely hands-off rendezvous and uh air-to-air refueling. Anyway, fascinating episode, especially since I just found that story about the F-18 and the SLS. And so uh check out Omega Tau and this isn't just about that. This is about all of the other resources that are out there. When you find something really good, please definitely share it. And if you think that I or Sawyer or Gene or Emily, if you think any of us, hey, maybe they haven't heard about this, let us know because I guarantee I miss over 90% of what's going on. In fact, I like to listen to our show just to find out what I've missed. That's it for me.
1: Well, thank you, Mort. And yes, I'm going to echo Mark's statements. (laughs) We have actual lives on top of doing the show, at least I think most of us do. Uh, so we end up missing a lot, and especially when it comes to podcasts, you know, I don't really listen to that many. If there's any podcasts that you think we should listen to, or anything in particular that you think we should look at or cover, please email us, tweet us, anything at us, shout out at us, let us know, because, uh, I know I can agree with Mark on this one. I love hearing from you guys and finding new stuff. All right, so that brings us to the end of round number one, and we're ready to move on to round number two two. And to start off round number two, we're going to talk about, oddly enough, something involving One
2: and Mars. Gene? Thanks, Sawyer. Uh, Emily, I-, I wanted to go ahead and first say thanks uh, for allowing me to use your your platform. Emily is the co-founder of the, uh, the Spaceflight Group. And mm. if you folks want to go ahead and check out that particular website, by all means, do it. There's some absolutely fascinating articles over there uh, from a lot of really talented writers, Emily, you among them. Uh, but oh. there was one, uh, I, I, was, I, I put together a, a sort of guest editorial on, uh, on, on Dennis Tito's plans to send two human beings, a man and a woman, around, uh, around Mars in the 2018 timeframe uh there were too many logistical things that were going on with that and i thought that the best kind of the whole plan would b- become the very first individual to possibly send a, uh, a a unpiloted scientific package around mars and the idea would be twofold one to go ahead and get more people interested in planetary science and number two to act as a uh, a platform for uh... communications around the red planet you know a lot of our communications uh, satellites in the, that area are getting kind of long in the tooth as uh, as a nasa planetary scientist observed uh... during a press conference a while back ago and perhaps we could probably use some bolstering there so, you would become essentially the first private entity to send an unpiloted spacecraft in orbit around Mars. The idea here would be to have several scientific packages on board, uh, a few cameras, uh, maybe some measuring instruments of some sort, and take ideas from universities and uh, high schools and even elementary schools in, in, in the area in the united states and all over the world to go ahead and, and try to sift through some of these study ideas and say hey which ones of these have the most scientific merit and allow students to participate in in the program uh... you could also go ahead and rent time on the cameras say for instance uh... with an organization like SLU. mark you were mentioning other websites slew if nobody knows what that is that's s dot com, I believe, uh, they have a series of telescopes all, all around the world that you can rent time on and perform observations. So again, it would get folks that think about planetary science more and more involved, and then as sort of a repayment, if you will, in uh from from NASA or for allowing the use of their deep space network, you could go ahead and act as a communications relay, not only for opportunity, for curiosity, but you could also go ahead and and uh, you know use it for future exploration too. We've got a, a mission out there called ExoMars that's going to be landing soon. You could you can assist in that. We've got uh, Insight, I believe, that's scheduled to launch in 2016, and we have a follow-up rover to Curiosity that's scheduled for 2020. So we would really need another orbiting asset in in Mars orbit. Uh, These were the ideas that I kind of tried to put out to Dennis Tito, to sort of salvage what he was doing and get the public more involved. Well, unbeknownst to me, the Mars One group, which it too has some missions, uh, you know, some human mission wanting to go ahead and execute a human mission to Mars, their idea is to take 40 individuals and essentially do a homesteading thing where you just basically one-way shot to Mars, Uh, these folks disembark, and they're on the red planet permanently forever which i think is more than simply absurd but that's neither here nor there tomorrow in front of the national press C- club at about 10:30 a.m. according this is coming from space Ref, tomorrow they are going to hold a press conference this is as we record this it's december 9th this will be Dece- De- december 10th uh, and the mars one group will announce that they are going to go ahead and go into a collaboration with Lockheed Martin here in the United States and Surrey Satellite Systems of the UK and put together the very first private robotic mission to the Red Planet. That to me is exciting. It's along the lines of, again, the MX-1 project that we talked about in the other segment. This is really exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing what they have in mind I'm looking forward to possibly talking with them to hear what they have in mind for this particular satellite and to hear if they have any public involvement in it and I'm hoping they do because again I think that that's what we need we need more folks involved in this and and more vo- folks involved in planetary science so in this way they can people have a sense of ownership, that they feel they belong to this project. But I am really going to be watching this with some really great interest to see what Mars One does with the announcement tomorrow. I'm so looking forward to it, and we'll have to see what uh, what they've got up their sleeve because I'm, I'm very eager to find out. And I'm hoping to have them here to talk to them one-on-one and, and learn more about what they want to do.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's an interesting endeavor. We've talked about it many times before, and um, we'll see where it goes. And I definitely hope that we do get someone to talk to about this, because I think we all have plenty of questions. All right, so we know about Virgin Galactic and their plan to send people into space. We talked earlier about how Axe Apollo is sending people into space. Well, there's somebody new getting into the game, and they're not going to get you to space, but they'll get you to near space. And that is an Arizona-based company called Worldview Enterprises, who just announced its new director of crew operations, being former shuttle astronaut Mark Kelly, who you may remember for basically commanding the second-to-last space shuttle mission and also being the husband of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who was shot in 2011. But he's part of this new plan, which basically their goal is to come up with a high-altitude space balloon, which, you know, we, we've seen similar high-altitude balloons before, place a capsule on the bottom, and doing so would take passengers to an altitude of about 30 kilometers, which is about 20 miles or so, or 100,000 feet, for an hours-long view of the Earth with the background to space, and this is according to NBC News. So basically, you're not going to be in space, but you'll be near space, and it'll be an interesting view. And they're planning to start commercial flights as early as 2016, and starting on Wednesday the 11th of December, you can book your flight. How much is it, you ask? Well, that's a good question. One flight, which is a couple hours, as I mentioned before, and a view of the curvature of the Earth is 75000 U.S. dollars. So you'll get to see the curvature of the Earth, but... It's not the 100 kilometers in altitude needed to be considered space, or 62 miles. It's about a third of the way there. So, I asked you guys this in pre-show, and I gave you a little bit of time to think about it, because this was a tricky question, and I'm going to ask it to you, and then I want you, the listeners, to weigh in as well. Which of these would you prefer? Would you prefer $75,000 and getting 30 kilometers up, still getting to see the curvature of the earth and the blackness of space, or would you rather pay the $250,000 to fly with Virgin Galactic and get about, you know, five minutes or so actually of space time, even though it's about 15 minutes when you consider getting in and out of sub-orbit? Which would you rather do?
2: Personally, I'd like to wait until Mr. Bigelow gets his act together and gets the hotel there. So maybe I can take my CST-100 or my, uh, uh, my Dragon or my, uh, my uh, Sierra Nevada Dream Chaser uh, up there and, and dock with the, uh, the floating hotel. But uh, given that that might not happen for a little while, it, it's economics. Do I want to go ahead and and break the, quote, space barrier you know, for just a few minutes and then come back down? Or do I want to go ahead and enjoy myself for a little while, take a good look out there, take a look at the curvature of the Earth, and just enjoy the ride up? It's going to be a lot longer of an experience, and it will be less money. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of having a lot more time and, uh, enjoying the moment and savoring it rather than you know, just having just a few minutes. So uh, I'd have to... Shoot, I'd have to go ahead and opt for the balloon.
0: Rockets Ahoy.
2: So
1: you'd go with Virgin? Oh, yeah. So we've got one for the balloon, one for the rocket.
3: I think I would take the balloon, personally. I mean, that's just me. I've read a little bit about high-altitude ballooning, and um, I just, I, it just fascinates me. I mean, that, but that's just, that's just me. I mean, uh, I, if they give me a chance to do anything to go into space, oh, I'll take it. I don't care <laughs> at this point. So if, if money were not an object, uh, can you pick all? Uh, I guess not. <laughs>
1: uh, that's a smart way of getting around the question, but I understand what you mean about the balloons. Because for me, I mean... Uh, balloon flights are a little bit more proven and slightly safer, for sure. But I don't know. I'm really torn on this one because the safety of the balloon, and you still get the view of the curvature of the Earth, but it's still five minutes of actually being in space. Regardless of how long it is, 5, 10, 15 minutes, it's in space. So you could say that you're an astronaut who went into space. So I think I would kind of have to go if I had to choose and I had the money with with probably Virgin Galactic on this one so oddly enough that splits our panel right down the middle two and two what do you guys think which would you rather do a hot air balloon or a Virgin Galactic flight $75,000 versus $250,000 let's say money wasn't a factor take your pick let us know what you think you can email us at mailbag at talking tweet us at talking space or post it on our Facebook page facebook.com talkingspace All right, well, speaking of grand and bright ideas, uh, those are all some major companies, big names, Mark Kelly, Richard Branson, but I think our next big name is a little kid. Emily?
3: Yeah, a six-year-old boy. He's really super adorable. His name is uh, Connor Johnson, and um, he's from Colorado, and he started a uh, petition. Basically, the backstory is, um, he, like pretty much uh, everybody else who, uh, follows space, um, has been, uh, you know, uh, hearing that, you know, Congress and has been cutting, you know, a lot of NASA initiatives, things like that, and, you know, recently we also had the government shutdown, which, uh, shut down NASA for, uh, a couple weeks at least, um, you know, things like that. Well, he, uh, he started, uh, Little Mister Mr. Johnson started a uh, petition on the White House uh, "We the People" page, um, and basically how it works is um, if one of those petitions gets around 100,000 signatures, um, it gets an official statement from you know the White House, and um, it's basically a way that you know kind of regular civilians can you know perform things. You know it might be a bit of a long shot, you know, given that um, you know that. I highly doubt Congress will make any sort of change regarding space policy soon. I don't think we've really had a government passionate about space policy since the 60s, but that's, like I said, that's my personal opinion. I'm not speaking, uh, you know, from any, you know, specific outlet or anything like that. But uh, it just shows that, you know, that M- NASA still uh, captures the imagination of very young people, which is amazing. Because you know, I, I, for me, it started real young. And I grew up during the Space Shuttle era. You know, I can't speak for others during that time, but it was just awesome. Like, it was just, it was just, back then, that was that was hot stuff. I mean, the shuttle was just it. And, um, you know, now we, we don't even have the shuttle anymore. My guess is when the last shuttle went off, this, this little boy was probably three or four so um, it's just amazing to me that, you know, somebody that young has such a little, you know, passion about it. Um, you know, and uh, another thing that I'd, you know, like to discuss is, uh, you know, NASA has a lot of uh, spinoffs. I, I don't know if, you know, this little boy, you know, he probably, he probably knows a lot. <laughs> he seems very smart and very precocious for his age. Um, but um, NASA has, you know, if you look at NASA... Spin-offs and things like that. Um, it, there's a lot of applications. People always ask me, you know, when people find out that space is, like, my, my love or passion, people always ask me, you know, well, what has NASA really done? You know, yeah, it's sent people on the moon and stuff like that, but what, you know, kind of applications has it done for real life? And, um, you know, people would be, you know, people would be shocked, you know, um, by all the stuff I think the biggest uh, example is, you know, it's allowed us to have, you know, smartphone technology, um, you know, I mean, it's really expanded, you know, communication, it's just exploded, you know, over, and now we have, you know, broadband and things like that, uh, I don't know, here I, here I am on myself boxing it, I don't think people really understand how important, you know, this uh, science is for our future, you know, and so far as, you know, um, I think it was John Young, the astronaut, Uh, who said, you know, we can't live as a, you know, a single species or something like that. You know, we're not meant to live forever. And um, I, I think part of what he was trying to say was we better try to advance ourselves as much as possible just because, you know, for future generations to maybe extend our longevity or figure out a way to, you know, get out of Earth or something like that so we can extend our longevity. And I think it's amazing that, you know, we still have little kids realizing that. I just hope that, you know, the, you know, the schools and everything else, I, I really hope they try to enterprise this idea. But I think it's wonderful that you know, a little, just cute as a button, six-year-old is, you know, just promoting the, the heck out of this. I think it's amazing. I love it. He's my niece's age, so I have a little soft spot for him. He's about kindergarten age. He's really super cute, and he's just very passionate. I think it's
2: awesome. Emily, this kid sounds a lot like another little precocious six-year-old I recall from the 19th, the early 1970s, late 1960s. That little one was me. Uh, here, my, my grandmother, bless her soul, still remembers uh, looking at this little child trying to describe to a whole bunch of adults... Why it was important that the uh, the the Apollo spacecraft come in on a two-degree angle and telling them how you know if you're too steep or too shallow and all that, and she was just sitting in the back going, "Yep, that's my boy." So uh, I could sort of relate to 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 the six-year-old in in that respect. Uh, it's it's amazing to me to see the passion. Of, of, a, of a young child that really wants to see th- this going, and if if you want to make that dream kind of continue and come true, go ahead sign this sign this petition. This young man is trying to keep our eyes on the prize. Are we going? The question is: Are we going to listen to the future saying this is where I want to be? And again, I'm going to go back and and try not to go to the uh, advocacy role here. But again, y- you might want to consider signing this young man's petition. So, uh, I'm going to after the program. That's for sure.
1: Oh yeah. How can you not sign this? I mean, it's amazing. Like you were both mentioning to find someone in the in-between era where there is no shuttle or anything to look up to, to have someone that young petitioning for this. So all the power to him, I must say, for a six-year-old to be going out there and creating a petition that, that takes a lot of guts, and I have to give this kid a lot of credit, and the least we could do is sign it, because on top of him being a cute kid, it's a worthy cause. And on that cute note, that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka.
2: Thanks, Sawyer. Uh, I'm hoping this isn't going to be the last, uh, the last uh, panel show of the year, but uh, we'll see. We might have one more more out there.
1: I'm hoping so, because we still have one more major launch upcoming, and I know at least one member of the crew will hopefully be at the upcoming orbital launch, so we'll see. Uh, Hopefully this isn't the end. But in the meantime, thank you as well for joining us, Mark Ratterman.
0: So long, and farewell.
1: Auf Wiedersehen, adieu. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you as well for joining us, Emily Carney.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me aboard. I really appreciate it.
1: And thank you, of course, for listening, and we hope you'll keep listening as we wrap up our fifth season of shows. The year's almost over, but we're not done yet. We hope you'll be with us then. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.